Thank you very much. It is so great to be here with you this morning, Grace Church. I'm so excited to be sharing with you. I know these past two weeks, uh, Pastor Tim and James have been uh, talking about 1 Peter. And we know that 1 Peter is all about hope, right? It's about the hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Despite the circumstances that may be happening around us, despite all of the chaos and, and everything that's happening in this world today, we still have hope in Jesus. And James talked in the first week that we need to embrace that eternal hope that we have in Jesus, that we need to fix our eyes on him, right? And that when we give our lives over to Christ, he will be enough. And last week, Tim talked about how do we prepare our minds for action, and we need to have an alert mind and be aware of everything that is going on around us so that we can influence our world for Jesus Christ. And we need to have that obedient will to be different because, well, because God is different. And we need to choose love, especially when we have every reason not to love. And so this week, we're going to continue, and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, your devices with you, I encourage you to open them um, there. His name was Howard Hughes. I'm sure most of us have heard him or heard his name. He was an aviator. He once held every speed record of consequence. He was called the world's greatest flyer. At various points in his life, he owned international airlines, regional airlines, an aircraft company, motion picture studios, mining properties, gambling casinos and hotels, and a medical research institute, as well as vast amounts of real estate. When he died in 1976, he had a net worth of $2 billion. He was the richest man in the world. At the end of his life, he was cared for around the clock by 15 personal attendants and three full-time doctors. He had the best health care that money could possibly buy. But do you know what killed him? It was malnutrition. He died thin, dehydrated, emaciated, despite all of his money, despite all of his power. So how did it happen? Well, he was so eccentric, so disturbed that he refused to eat or drink any food or water that was brought to him because he was afraid it was going to kill him. <laughs> he was so obsessed with absolute purity and everything that he ate and everything that he drank, so he didn't eat or drink anything. But he forgot one simple rule of human life, right? If you don't eat, if you don't drink, you die, well, you see, the same is true in our spiritual life, isn't it? We can't make it without the food of the word of God. I mean, we all know how important food is in our daily life, right? Some of us, yes, more than others, but we all know. And the food of the spiritual life is, is all about the Bible. It's all about the word of God. And it's vitally important that we feed on it daily, in fact, if we allow our lives to become so overloaded, so busy, that we neglect our spiritual nourishment, that's when we begin to suffer from spiritual malnutrition. And we spend the rest of our lives in this downward spirals of stress and frustration and worry and anger. You know, many Christians are concerned, and I agree, 
about how our culture is rejecting biblical Christianity. But I would tell you, I'm more concerned with how the church, how evangelical Christians are rejecting the Bible. And I don't mean we're rejecting the truth of the Bible. I just mean we're rejecting interacting with the Bible. George Gallup put it this way, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, we don't read it. And because we don't read it, we've become a nation of biblical illiterates. He said, if you don't think this is a problem, here's some stats. (laughs) Fewer than half of adults can name the four gospels. 60% of Americans can't name five of the 10 commandments. 12% of adults believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Over half of graduating high school seniors think Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. (laughs) You see, if we want to experience this life that is spiritually nourished, and overcome all of this overload. I just want to share with you from our scripture this morning, hopefully in ways that will help change that. So look with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's what we do. Step one, we develop a heart for God's word. See, I want to share something with you. It might surprise you a little bit. Verse two, it tells us that like newborn babies who crave pure spiritual milk, there is this condition that gets attached to it in verse one. Because verse one said, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Rid yourselves. Say that with me. Rid yourselves. Say it again with me. Rid yourselves. Get rid of it. And you may wonder, what does verse one have, with deals with all of these relational problems, have to do with reading God's word? But, But it does. Because you see, you don't just read the Bible with your eyes, you read it with your heart. And these two verses are connected, not not just because, well, one comes right after the other, of course, but they're connected in this circular way. Well, let me share. That word rid in the Greek language literally means to strip off. It means you're taking off all of your dirty clothes and you're putting clean clothes on. Uh, Several years ago, I was a youth minister down in central Indiana, and my wife and I had these friends, Doug and Mary, a great couple. And Doug worked for a pig farmer. And so his wife, Mary, would tell us uh, about Doug's routine when he would get home from work. He said before she would allow him to step one foot into their house, he had to go into the garage and he had to strip down and take off all of his clothes and leave them out in the garage and then take a shower and get clean. And only after that would she allow him to come into their house. Why? Well, if you've ever worked on a pig farm, you know why. Pig farmers smell. I mean, when you work around pigs all day, you get pig smell. And so that's not a smell that really goes away easily. So every night, Doug would get home and he would have to take a shower. And sometimes he'd have to take two or three showers before that went away. 
so why am I telling you about Doug's hygiene habits? You, you, you probably don't care. Well, before we can sit down and we can eat at this table called the Bible, the Word of God, we have to be clean. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So we need to remove that sin in our life. Because just like we are talking to God when we go before him in prayer, God talks to us as we read through his word. And if there is sin in our life, well, that inhibits God from speaking to us. So before we can really come to the word of God, before we can understand it, before we can sit down and get from God's word what we need to get from it, we have to lay aside everything and anything that would hinder that relationship with our Lord and Savior and with other people. And Peter gives us quite a list here, doesn't he? He lists malice. Malice is bitterness. It's hard feelings. It's carrying a grudge. Well, how can we possibly go before the throne of God? How can we tell him how much we love him and adore him and how grateful we are for all of the many blessings that he has given us in our lives if our hearts are filled with bitterness towards somebody else? if we're carrying that grudge against someone else, especially because that someone else is also a child of God, also one of his beloved. Well, the answer is we can't, can we? No, we need to get rid of it. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We need to put it away. We need to get rid of it. Then Peter lists deceit, right? Deceit is dishonesty. It's being two-faced. It's having a hidden agenda. How can we possibly approach the throne of God with deceit in our hearts? If we're lying, if we're being two-faced, I mean, first of all, God already knows it, doesn't he? He knows our heart. He knows what's going on in our life. So we need to get rid of that deceit before approaching him. Then he lists hypocrisy. It's simply play acting. It's hiding behind a mask, right? It's pretending to be something that we're not. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I always loved Halloween. I mean, what kid doesn't love Halloween? You get to dress up in these crazy costumes and these weird masks and go door to door and you're just like, trick or treat. And all of your neighbors and friends give you free candy. I mean, what's not to love about that holiday as a kid? And all you had to do to get the free candy was wear a silly costume and a mask. But as adults, God doesn't desire that from our life. He doesn't want us to wear a mask. He doesn't want us to pretend to be something we're not, to hide who we truly are. God wants us to be honest, to be truthful, to be transparent as we approach his throne and his word. Then Peter lists envy. Envy is just simply resenting what somebody has and the fact that they have it and you don't, and you want it. <laughs> Being jealous of what they have and you don't have. But God doesn't want us to be envious of other people because they have a nicer car or a bigger house or better golf clubs or the newest gadgets or, or whatever it may be. We need to put away those envious thoughts. And can I suggest something? The best way to do that is to be grateful to be thankful for everything that he has already given us. 
In fact, Pastor Tim was talking about that just a few weeks ago, wasn't he? How we need to be thankful and grateful for everything, for all the blessings in our lives. And so we begin to our prayer time by listing that. Share with him everything that you are thankful for, everything that he has blessed us with before we begin to tell him, this is what I need and I want. Last thing on this list, Peter says is slander. It's just speaking evil or gossip, right? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear you. Can I tell you, I love this verse because not only is it telling me, here's what you shouldn't do. It says, here's what you should do instead. Right, instead of allowing all this slander and this gossip to flow out of our lips, which, which let's be honest, we all love that, right? We've all done it. Who doesn't enjoy hearing that bit of juicy gossip that happened? I've been guilty of it. You know, he says, instead of allowing that to flow from our mouths, because what happens is it's really coming out of our hearts. No, instead, we, we need to be sharing things that will build one another up. We need to be encouraging one another and strengthening one another, sharing positive things. We need to share that word that will lift one another's spirit, not tear it down. So Peter tells us we need to get rid of slander. We need to get rid of all of these things as we begin to approach the word of God. And here's why. Because again, when we read God's word, God's not just telling you, here's what you should do. Right? But he's telling us that, that as we do these things that, that he wants us to do and live in a way that he wants us to live, we won't be doing the things he doesn't want us to do. We won't be living in a way that he doesn't want us to live. And that's how we begin to develop this heart to receive God's word. I heard a pastor a while ago tell me this, and it's something I'll never forget. He said, either sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. We need to have the Bible in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. We need to feed on it. And we need to develop that heart for God's word. And then second, we need to develop a hunger for God's word. Because if we don't get a hunger for God's word, we'll become spiritually hangry, won't we? And nobody likes a hangry Christian. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by you may grow up in your salvation. I mean, Peter's comparing God's word to milk, but, but really the Bible is like a buffet, isn't it? I mean, this is a complete meal for us as believers because it gives us everything we need to be developed and become mature, balanced Christians. Think of it this way. When you go to a restaurant and you order a complete meal, it's going to have four things, isn't it? It's going to have your appetizer, your drink, your main course, and your dessert. Well, God's word is a complete meal. We're told that God's word is bread, right? Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread is the appetizer, and, and we love bread, don't we? I mean, you go to Olive Garden for what? The breadsticks. You don't go for salad. I mean, yeah, they have soup, salad, and breadsticks, but you go for the breadsticks. My wife and I, we love to go to Texas Roadhouse, our favorite restaurant. 
And you sit down in that booth and what's the first thing they do? They hand you this basket of fresh, hot rolls with that cinnamon butter. Oh yeah, <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. It's so good. Bread is so good, but, but it's just the appetizer, isn't it? It can't be the whole meal. It can't be everything that we need. We also have the beverage, right? Verse two, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we grow up in our salvation. Milk is important. What was the commercial? Milk, it does a body good, right? It has calcium, it has nutrients, it has everything that we need to help us grow. And, and so does God's word. It provides those spiritual nutrients that we need to help us grow in our walk with Jesus. It's also the main dish. Hebrews 5.14 tells us, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. As we begin and continue to mature in our faith and our spiritual walk with God, we need that solid food of the word of God. Because that is what is going to sustain us. That's what's going to help us continue on each and every day of our life. And then God's word is dessert. God's word is like honey. In Psalms 119, it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, Peter tells us that we need to have the same appetite for God's word that a newborn baby has for milk. And a baby that has no appetite, well, it's a sick baby, isn't it? In fact, one of the marks of sickness is if you've lost your appetite. And there was a pastor talking about the last few weeks of his father's life. And he said, my dad was always a big eater. Even when he was sick, there were some foods my mom would fix him and he would just always eat. He said, but those last few weeks, my dad wouldn't eat. And he said he wasn't sick because he lost his appetite. He lost his appetite because he was sick. You know, if you've ever been around those newborn babies, you know that when they wake up from their naps or wake up in the middle of the night and they're screaming and they're crying, what do they want? They want milk, right? And you know that nothing else you can possibly give that baby is going to satisfy it. You can't give it toys and rattles and dolls and music and you can't take it for a walk. Nothing else is going to satisfy except that milk, that, that food. And there are times in our lives as believers in Jesus where nothing else will do. And so we need to stimulate that hunger for the word of God and do it in every way we can. And let me just give you a couple suggestions here this morning. One is doing what we're doing right here, right now. All right, we are gathering in the house of God to worship, to hear the word of God. And hopefully, and my prayer is that, that this helps to stimulate in you a desire and a thirst to, to crave more of God's word. But, but also, there's also no substitute for us reading the word of God ourselves, studying it ourselves, right? Because just as God speaks to me through his word, he speaks to you through his word. And we both know that no matter how good the meal is, right? No matter how well grilled that steak is, no matter how fresh the bread is, no matter how sweet that cake, you know, covered in frosting for Pastor Tim, of course. If you're not hungry, 
you're not going to eat it. The truth of the matter is there's nothing wrong with the food that is found in the word of God. The, the truth is there's something wrong with our appetites. So we need to third, develop a hearing for God's word. Because the word helps us grow. Verse three says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Man, Peter must have been super hungry when he was writing this passage of scripture. It seems like he's kind of hung up on food. He's talking about milk and he's talking about taste. And there's a reason for that though, isn't there? I mean, meat, milk, food, it has to be tasted if we're gonna have any benefit whatsoever, right? I mean, you can go to the most beautifully laid out banquet table on this planet. You can have the greatest food prepared for you by the finest chefs in this world. But if you don't taste it, if you don't eat it, if you don't digest it, you'll starve to death. And see, there are two kinds of physical starvation, right? The, the first is when we eat nothing at all. And we've seen those pictures of children, right, overseas, and they're, they're thin and emaciated, and they look like walking skeletons because they've literally had nothing to eat. But there's another kind of starvation, and that's from not getting the proper nutrition that you need, from eating the wrong kinds of food. And this is a silent killer, but, but it begins to break down all of your vital organs and weakens your immune system. You know, back in the early days when our nation was first founded, people were traveling over by sea and the, and the boats and the early pilgrims came over with a real problem. They didn't get enough vitamin C in their diets. They would bring over all of these rations on the boat for them to eat during their journey from one end of the ocean to the other, but but they didn't allow for enough vitamin C and other nutrients that their bodies needed. So as they made their way over here, this condition called scurvy began to afflict many people. And their joints swelled and their teeth began to fall out and their organs began to fail and eventually they died. And you see, it wasn't because they weren't eating. The problem was they were eating the wrong kinds of food. See, let me be very honest this morning. I think the reason that we as a culture, as a nation, as a world today, find it hard to cultivate that appetite for God's word because we're living on spiritual junk food. We, we live in this spiritual junk food culture and we don't have that appetite for God's word because well, we begin to satisfy that hunger with so many other things. I mean, we begin to feed our souls with mindless programming on TV that just mocks everything we believe. We, we clog the, the arteries of our soul with violence and language from the modern day movies. We fill our ears with, with music that degrades the spirit and denies God and disgraces Jesus. And then we begin to wonder why we have no appetite for God's word. And I'll be honest, I am just as guilty of this as the next guy. So can I make a few suggestions? Can, can I set a challenge here for, for Grace Church, for each of us? See, very few of us find it difficult to make sure we get three meals a day, right? Probably a few snacks in between. But a lot have a problem setting aside time each day to feed on God's word. 
So let me just challenge you for the next four weeks, from now until Easter Sunday, four weeks from now, if you're not already doing this, take the first 15 minutes of each day and spend it alone with God and his word. Yeah, you'll have to set your alarm clock a little bit earlier. you have to get up a little bit earlier, but, but take those minutes and spend it with God. And I'll challenge you, start with Matthew. Take the book of Matthew and each day read one chapter. There's 28 chapters in Matthew. There's 28 days till Easter. So if you start tomorrow by Easter Sunday, you will have read through the entire life of Jesus up to and including his death, burial, and resurrection. And you'll come that morning with a greater perspective and outlook of what our Lord and Savior did for us. And I'll, I'll guarantee this, that that doesn't happen without changing our lives. But if we make the time each day to feed on God's word, it will radically change our life. Because it's not just about eating. It's about our very spiritual existence. Because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we can't live without the word of God. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says this, it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. The word of God is all about our life. There was a time of great persecution in England and a man by the name of George Wishart, he was a local chaplain and he was sentenced to be hung for his faith. And they were putting the rope around his neck and his executioners said it was customary to allow the, the person about to die to be read a psalm before he died. And so they said, which psalm would you like? And he thought for a moment, he says, you know, I would like you to read Psalms 119. Yeah, that's the longest book in the Bible. There's 176 verses. And the minister began reading to this condemned man. And he got to about verse 120. And all of a sudden, they could hear the distant pounding of the hooves of a horse. And there was a horseman coming, and he was carrying a message from the king himself, and it was a pardon for George Wishart. Psalms 119 literally saved his life. You see, the word of God can save your life too. It is a life-saving book. It can save us grief. It can save us sorrow. It can save us heartache. It can save marriages. It can save families can save souls. So let's feed on God's word and let's see if it doesn't change your life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we thank you. You've given us your word to feed on every day. Your word to encourage us, your word to strengthen us, your word to teach us, to challenge us. Lord, your word allows us to know more about you and to draw closer to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you help each of us each day to devour that word so that we can draw closer to you, so we can become more like you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name.